I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, joined by Tim Kimberly and Sam Storms. Uh, ministry, Theology Unplugged is a ministry of Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. We are coming to you live from the Credo House. Well, we're not really live by the time you're listening to it, but I'm live right now. You, know, you right? are. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, everyone is live when they record something. So. Well, I don't know. It just sounds like something to say live. It sounds more dynamic, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, Credo House, Edmond, Oklahoma. You ever in Edmond? Stop by, get a cup of coffee, a uh, Calvin cappuccino or a Luther latte. We're getting we're getting pretty popular with our coffee. Nicey and mocha, yeah. We sell at least two a week. <laughs> no, no, we're going through. We actually just bought our first five pound bag of coffee to last us for one week. Did we really? Yeah, wow. and we buy we actually buy an additional two point five of different kinds as well. So we're over seven pounds a week of coffee. All right, well, get up here. You can join us for one of our classes. We offer. Uh, Lots of classes here. Stop by. If you're out of town, you're coming through I-35, I-40, you know, just pull off and find us, uh, Google Map us, although you can't really do that, can you, because we're still not on Google Map. Yeah, we are so new that we're trying to get Google to find us. Well, call us. We'll uh, we'll get you here. Uh, it's, a, it's a sight to see. It's, you know, one of the three main attractions in Oklahoma. It is, yeah. actually. It's, it's one of the three only attractions in Oklahoma. We got... We what, are the, what are the other two? Bridgeway Church is I don't know. number two. I was just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think. Well, it's pretty easy to say one of the three main. Well, one of them is uh, our uh, Murrah Building Museum. Have you all been there? Murrah uh, Building Museum? No, I have not. You need to go there. I understand that. You really do. It's it's incredible. We went there before we built the Credo House just to get ideas on kind of museum look and feel presentation. Mm. And I was in tears the whole time. So you want to go there and cry, okay? <laughs> I know. I keep, well, I keep wanting to go, seriously. But then it's always – I always put it towards my wife for a date night that yeah. we should go. And, you know, she's always like, well, maybe not on a date night. Yeah, you don't, know, we don't should probably go some night. other time. Not right, the, it's not the, romantic. And then the second draw is uh, Toby Keith's I Love This Bar and Grill. It is. <laughs> and then third on the list is Credo House. I, I hate to say it, but whenever people come through here, they're like, what's a famous place to eat at? I don't know. I love this bar and grill. <laughs> Uh, Got to be a country guy. Okay, Tim, uh, we we do have an announcement in a week from Saturday, which will be for some of you, if you're just now listening to this, right when it came out, it'll be a week from tomorrow. But the date on it is what? For the boot camp, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, most clearly it's Saturday morning, November 13th. We are having an extraordinary video producer who has agreed to come and videotape our next boot camp on how to study the Bible. Four 45-minute sessions on how to study the Bible. And we are not doing it live online, but we are doing it at the Credo House. So if you are anywhere within a day's drive, we would love drive. we would love to have you come to the Credo House for that morning or drive in the night before. Just consider it a fun road trip to get a feel for the Credo House, and you can be part of our live studio audience, be a part of the DVD of how to study the Bible and everything. So we'd love to have you come November 13th, if at all possible, Saturday morning. All right, come here it, it, you'll make history it'll be part of the uh history that we talked about um it's it's almost halloween 
for some of our listeners that will have already passed. Mm-hmm. But uh, almost Halloween, so I thought we'd talk a little Halloween special here. And I don't want to get into you know whether you celebrate Halloween or anything like that. We've been doing that on the blog for quite some time now. But uh, talk about a little something that maybe people out there would think is scary or in the realm of the the fearful, unknown Halloween-type stuff and demonology. Now, I de- I've never taught a class on demonology. When we were doing the theology program and kind of uh, building for that and storyboarding, storyboarding, what are the classes that we want to teach, what are the most essential classes, what are the most essential subject. We did have, you know, a deal up there that said angels and demons. But whenever it came down to it at the very end, when we finalized everything and put it all in their places, I, I couldn't find room to place angels and demons. And one of the reasons are, and you guys may disagree with me, and that's fine. You know, you're just sitting here and got here this morning, didn't know what we were going to talk about, but this is our subject, angels and demons. But my thoughts on it were, you know, we, we could talk a lot about angels and demons, but most of what I would be teaching is kind of dispelling folk theology and myth, more than telling positively what we know about them. To me, angels and demons, uh, they exist. Okay, I, I believe they exist. The Bible seems very, very clear about this. Yet at the same time, I don't know much about them. The Bible didn't tell us that much about them. I may be wrong. You may say, no, Michael, because a lot of people have confronted me with this and said, Michael, you're really wrong about this. This, There's a lot more to it, and I think you need to add an additional course or at least an elective on angels and demons. But I kind of wrote this out. You guys have it in front of you here about what I know, what I don't know, what I'm pretty sure of, and the last category is what I imagine to be the case concerning angels and demons. Well, and one thing we talked about this week, too, is that one of the reasons that I've been at least encouraged by mentors in theology not to study too much angels and demons is because usually people who devote their lives to study end up in the newspaper with a story that they were found running naked through some park <laughs> is usually how it ends up. And so I've, I've been told to, you know, know enough. So that's what but, I have to look forward to in my future. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I have that story, but I didn't even study angels and demons. Really? Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> That was, that was called college. streaking in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kudos to Dr. John Hanna for that uh, that wisdom. <laughs> anyway, I wonder if we talk about this subject. It, it seems to be that the that God wants us to know that angels, demons, Satan are out there. Now, before I go there with you know just a, a discussion about Satan and angels and demons, I have found it more and more common today for people to to um, evangelicals even. Just read an article the other day from an evangelical that uh, holds to an accommodation view about angels and demons. And what he means, what I mean by this is he doesn't believe that Satan really exists, demon possessions exist, or that they even existed in the Bible. But whenever Christ would encounter one of these people, since it was the common worldview of the day that People could be possessed since people had demons or were demonized. Um, Christ accommodated to their view and didn't overturn that view. Yet at the same time, it was probably just some type of psychological thing going on. But he cured the psychological thing, so he said it's still a miracle. It's a miracle what he did whenever he cast out the demons out of the demoniac. 
Um, but yet it wasn't really casting out demons. And so I see kind of this movement, especially with the people that are very highly scientific, uh, medicine oriented type people that are, you know, uh, um, I, I think trying to keep their standing in a lot of areas of, of the scientific community, but yet at the same time keep their Christian evangelicalism to just outright reject Satan, the existence of Satan, and the existence of demons, and probably the existence of angels as well, although that's not quite as controversial because they're not quite so bizarre. What say you guys? <laughs> Was, I, I'm well, surprised you used the word evangelical in describing this person. Well, he, I, he describes himself as an evangelical. I, I, yeah, I'm a little befuddled by that. I am... I, 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 I understand what he means when he's talking about accommodation, but uh, it seems to me that that would uh, cross the line into outright deception. Uh, it would take a massive um, rereading of the gospel records and of the epistles as well, uh, and a reconfiguration of so many doctrinal truths. Uh, everything from um, you know the, the Ephesians six to uh, you know Christ talking about how uh, hell has been uh, prepared for Satan and his demons to the operation of uh, the demonic and Satan in the book of Revelation, uh, because it wouldn't just be Jesus accommodating himself. You're going to have to say every single inspired author of Scripture accommodated himself. Paul would have had to. John, obviously. Peter, you know, Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, I don't know how. You would have to utterly gut the book of Revelation uh, like a fish, uh, to get every um, reference to the demonic or Satan out of there. And then you'd have to reconfigure the whole notion of um, of uh, uh, the activities that he is uh, described as carrying out in relationship to the world. And, you know, I, I would, I would want to question somebody's evangelical credentials if they went that far. Um, but... Who am I to judge? Well, right? I think a lot of them are saying, and, and I agree with you, but I think a lot of them are doing this because in our modern world, you know, here in America, instead of ever dealing with someone as being demon-possessed, even in the evangelical church, I mean, that's very rarely seen. And so we usually just do give them some type of prescription drugs, and it usually takes care of those you know, whatever it is that is given rise to the suspicion that maybe they're demon possessed or maybe, you know, they've got some chemical imbalance. And as uh, in my class at seminary, Minrith, mm-hmm. Dr. Minrith came in and he said, I don't know about demon possession, but I do know if there is demon possession, they sure are scared of Zoloft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've heard that too. Yeah. Oh my. But at well, the same time, we don't use that that statement to write off the reality of demons. Well, though. in a sense, no. For us, no. But in a sense, when you hear that, it's it's in a, it's a dismissal in a, in a way. Yeah. But you also have to realize, uh, and again, I I want to be careful not to question someone's motivation. But uh, certainly in the academic world, uh, if you want to. Uh, the broader academic world, not just the Christian, but, you know, the academy, so to speak. If you want to immediately uh, destroy your uh, credibility in the eyes of the academy and um, uh, be viewed as highly unsophisticated, just say that you believe in demons and angels, and that will seal your fate. Mm -hmm. So I wonder sometimes if the people who embrace this accommodationist theory uh, aren't uh, feeling the pressure of... um, Wanting to maintain the respect and uh, the uh, the acceptance by their colleagues because they know that if they 
were caught believing in these things, much less actually engaging with a demonized person and trying to set them free, uh, that would be the end of their uh, reputation and their standing in the academic world. It seems to be so easy in all of these areas. This area, I mean, I, we could name a dozen others where we cease to realize or at least put on the front that this is a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And it becomes less and less spiritual and more and more academic, scientific, medical explanations for everything. And we we become, you know, we may be in a postmodern world, but we're still very modern in our thinking and influenced by that whenever it comes to this issue of demonology. You know, you, you do talk about this and, you know, even having a, a theology unplugged on this, a lot of people are sitting there going, wow, what are they going to talk about? They're probably, you know, some of those backwoods Christians who who are, you know, thinking that uh, Satan is involved in everything. And, you know, you can believe in it, but just don't talk about too much activity and don't pray against them. But, you know, yeah. I, I'm I, I am I think what brought this up with me a few weeks ago and I don't know how it came up, but I, I just remember praying the other morning and going through and thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, because we taught on that last week, last yeah. Wednesday in the discipleship program. Yeah. We were bringing this up. And in the end, I was like, gosh, he, he puts aside a full section here of the Lord's Prayer. And a section of the Lord's Prayer, there ain't many sections, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to say, deliver us from the evil one. And that's our daily prayer. That is something that, that he could have said so many other things, so many things that we could pray on a daily basis that, that we would probably prioritize over prayer against Satan and, and Lord, take care of us. You know, Satan's out there. And today, I don't want to be overcome by Satan. Yeah, certainly. I mean, how often do you, as you're walking out the door, say, hey, honey, just want to let you know I'm praying for you that Satan doesn't get you today. You know, she'd be like, uh, thank you, you know, instead of, wow, I really need that. Thank you. You know, I know that I need to be protected from the evil one. We just don't think that way. Yet when his disciples say, teach us how to pray, he says, well, here's one of the components that you need to be praying on a daily basis. And if you read from the King James, it says, deliver us from evil. But most of the modern translations mm-hmm. have the evil one mm-hmm. as, a, as a definite noun there, which refers to Satan. Um, however, you know, having, having said we believe in Satan, what do we believe about them? That's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit. I don't know if you have, uh, anything that you guys want to add to what I've said so far before I get into some of these specific questions about what, what we believe about them. But it's, uh, um, something that I think we'll spend a lot more time on what I don't know, at least. You guys can correct me too, Sam. When you're pastoring and someone comes up to your to you and and asks you, you know, hey, what should I think about Satan? What should I think about demons uh, with per- potentially affecting my my family or or in my house or things like that? What is generally your response? Well, certainly, I would say, obviously, from what you've already heard me say, they're real, uh, but I would also say they're defeated. Um, and that you uh, have nothing to fear uh, given the fact that you are uh, united with Christ and you have been given authority over all the power of the evil one. Um, I always eventually bring people back uh, to Luke chapter 10. Um, It's an incredible statement um, when the 72 or the 70, depending on which variation you're reading, 
whom Jesus commissioned come back and they're rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And uh, Jesus says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Uh, that is a stunning statement. Uh, these aren't apostles he's talking to. These were the 70 beyond the apostolic company, just the followers, average folk who were believing in Jesus. And he says, I have given you authority uh, over all the power of the enemy. Uh, and if we don't, you know, that's one of the first things I want to tell a Christian. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have authority over all the power of the enemy. It's in Jesus' name. It's important to remember that. You know, they, the disciple says there, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Um, so I just tell people basically, yes, demons and Satan are real. Um, Colossians 2 and elsewhere indicates very clearly they have been defeated. They have been exposed. Um, they have been placed beneath the authority of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. Um, they are his footstool as he reigns over all principalities and powers. You have been united with Jesus. He has given you authority. You need not fear. Uh, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a battle because there oftentimes is a, is a very serious one. But we have the assurance that we can emerge victorious. Um, I think this is one of the... Um, I was actually teaching a prayer seminar uh, just a week ago Sunday at the church, um, training people for our prayer ministry and talking about how do you deal with somebody who might be suffering from some sort of spiritual oppression or harassment or even something as possibly as serious as demonization, which is another issue that, you know, I don't know whether you want to go into that one or not. Because um, I don't like to use the word demon possession because it's not biblical language. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people mm-hmm. know that. It's never used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use it commonly. And so I talked about the fact that most Christians are scared to death to talk about this issue, and they want to keep it at arm's length. Um, And I think that is due to the fact that they really haven't come to grips with what it means uh, to have been given by Jesus all authority over the power of the enemy and to be united to him at the right hand of the Father beneath whose feet all principalities and powers have been subjected. And if we know that, and uh, we go, you know, and if we believe First John 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we really believe that? Well, if we do, we'll be confident, not in ourselves, but in the strength and the authority of Christ. And that changes everything. It exalts Christ. It, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it, it changes our approach. It, uh, people don't cower in fear. They, and most importantly, just from a pastor's point of view, they don't run away from people who are severely oppressed. And we have a lot of them. And I just go back to maybe the individual you're referring to who and others who might want to question the existence of the demonic. I, I would say spend a few years in pastoral ministry, uh, at least in the places where I have. And, um, and uh, again, I'm not trying to say that obviously experience uh, is not the, what determines ultimately our theological convictions, but it certainly has confirmed what I believe the Bible says because I've not only encountered it, uh, and I know this sounds weird. I've felt the presence of the demonic hmm. in a, uh, you know, in in a spirit in the spiritual dimension. It's uh, and when I mean when I say felt, I mean tangibly felt uh, that that reality, that spiritual power. And um, I, I don't, I can't write it off as simply mental illness. It, it's a very real spiritual power that we confront. Uh, daily. Hmm. 
One thing, uh, Michael and I had talked about this. I didn't know that this was going to be the subject of the broadcast, though, but um, I believe it was either John Chrysostom or Origen. I, I couldn't remember which one it is. And I didn't have a chance to look, but really put forward this view that whenever you encounter a human that seems to have fallen into sin and seems to just be overcome by sin, they become idiotic. They're nonsensical. They're throwing all reason aside and start becoming foolish when they've just put blinders on and are just going full-blown into sin. And so, therefore, they concluded that that must be how Satan and the demons are, that once they've become so overwhelmed with sin that they can't even see reality anymore. Um, what would be your, your take on that? I mean, it's something that I, I don't hear as often, but I think maybe practically we think that way. Like, if they're evil, they can't be uh, really in their right minds. They must be ones who, who are really just dumbed down, weird drone-type beings instead of intellectual beings. Well, uh, you know, I, I've asked that question often, especially, uh, you know, in light of uh, Revelation 12, which, again, is a very controversial passage. I'm not even sure I know what it's talking about, where it, it says that Satan knew that his time was short, and so mm -hmm. he intensified his assault on the people of God, knowing that his time was short. So he knows his doom is sealed. Uh, if, you know, if we can you take the line from a mighty fortress is our God. Mm -hmm. He is aware of the fact. I mean, Jesus spoke it clearly that um, the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. So they are aware of their ultimate destiny. They know that they cannot win. And yet all this leads to is an intensified um, uh, attack uh, mm -hmm. rather than simply just yielding and giving up. And I, all I can say is that seems to me to testify to the incredibly intense and entrenched depravity of the demonic. I mean, there is, there is a, wick, a depth of wickedness here that we can't even begin to fathom that sentient creatures made by God um, who know who he is, and James says they tremble, Mm -hmm. and yet obviously are incapable of repentance. We never read about any kind of demonic repentance, although Origen did believe in uh, that Satan would eventually repent and be reconciled to God, because uh, I don't know if your listen our listeners are aware of that, but he did believe in ultimate reconciliation of all God's creatures and that Satan himself would eventually be reconciled. Um, Called the apocatastasis. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> you spit all over your microphone saying that. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to get a, you know, like sure. I, but I, I think, uh, Tim, it's a good point. I think it just testifies to the almost unimaginable wickedness of the demonic, mm -hmm. um, and, which is another reason why uh, I, I, I tell people this isn't something you toy with. This isn't something that you joke about or play around with. Uh, and treat uh, in a kind of a casual manner. You're dealing with entrenched wickedness that has only one aim, and that is to uh, diminish. Their aim is to destroy your relationship with Christ. They can't do that, but at least to diminish your intimacy with the Lord and to detract from the glory of God, and that they will do whatever is within their creaturely power. And again, you make the very good point in your paper, Michael. They are not omnipotent. Uh, mm -hmm. Satan is not God. He is not God's rival. If anything, he's Michael's rival, not you, but Michael the archangel, 
because he is a fallen angel. And I think so many times people think Satan is the opposite of God, yeah. which is not no, at all. Not at yeah. all. He's he, the opposite of Michael the archangel. Yeah. He's a fallen angelic creature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we talk about God, and I think that's important to expand upon. We're running out of time here for this broadcast. But we talk about God being... You know, uh, uh, he, he is the only transcendent one. He is the only one that is beyond and and not dependent on anything whatsoever. We call this in theology. He is a say. He is of himself. That he he is non contingent. He's not dependent upon anything. He is perfect. He is holy. He is the only transcendent God, and everything else is completely and utterly dependent upon Him, and dependent upon the world, and dependent upon everything that happens. Um, Satan's right there with us. Mm. I mean, you, you say parallel to Michael, the archangel, but we we you know some people okay maybe he's not God. But he's just right below him in his power, you know, and that's why it's such a tough fight for God. And then we get these ideas, uh, you know, from Hollywood or from just pop culture in general that there's this there's this battle going on, and and Satan's in the battle because he actually thinks he can win the battle, and and maybe he actually can in the end of some sort. And this is called dualism, and you know, classic philosophy, where. God and Satan are in this eternal battle, and that is not a Christian worldview. Satan is God's devil, as it has often been said. Mm. Created by him, subject to him. Uh, He is not his equal. He is, in fact, as you said, a subordinate, dependent creature. As are as are we all, and and he knows it. I mean, and we see that in the book of Job as well. He he has to enter into the courts of God to make a request. Not omnipotent. Not all powerful, doesn't can't do anything. You don't have to worry about him reading your mind or your thoughts. He's not omnipresent. Like he no. can't be everywhere at once. He, he's at one place right now, exactly. And he he is along along with all the other demons in the, the in creation find extension in space. In other words, they they are in a particular place. And, you know, that, that is often what we think, you know, Satan's tempting me right now. Well, yes, in a sense, whenever you talk about Satan and the umbrellic, uh, uh, plan and determination of the demonic forces, we can, we can accurately say that Satan may be tempting you. But, but in reality, probably none of us have ever been in the presence of Satan himself. Probably not. I think I would have remembered that. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have a scar to show. Um, it's important for us to realize that, folks. There's a lot of things we don't know, but the things that we do know, and, and when in comparison with God, while we know they're they're there, while we know that it is a foe, while we know that it is a battle, while we know that it is such a battle that Christ tells us to pray and, and for protection from the evil one. At the same time, we know that uh, God is in control of Satan, and uh, Satan is is no. In comparison to God, really, he's, you know, if God's a, a hundred, Satan is a point zero 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 two, and we're a point zero 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 one. I think you're giving both of us too much credit, man. What, point one? Yeah. Just... All right, guys, Satan, um, that is uh, the topic, Satan, demons. We'll continue this next time. Thanks for joining us for Theology Unplugged.
You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.